Okay. Hello and welcome to the Witch with Books podcast. I'm Jason Mankey. I'm really excited today. My guest is Enfys Book, author of Queer Kabbalah, Non-Binary, Gender Fluid, Omnisexual, Mysticism, and Magic, and also Stomper of Jason at Paganicon on a set of stairs in March of 2022 when we first met. Welcome to the show. It's very cool to have you. Thanks, Jason. And for those listening, rest assured, I only stomp people consensually. Uh, so that was that was a fun evening, though. It was just to get that picture. It's a fabulous mm-hmm. picture. I use it all the time. So let's just dive into things. And before we start, I have to admit, I've never had much interest in the Kabbalah beyond its history. So... As a witch or an occultist, why the Kabbalah? What do witches need to know about it? Oh, gosh. Well, what they need to know about it is the entire book. So, you know, run out and grab that. But what I can cover in short form, I'll I'll talk about what got me into it. And this may resonate with some people. Uh, So when I started really sincerely pursuing an occult path uh, when I was in my early 30s, I was drawn to Kabbalah, first of all, because in my tradition, the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel, Kabbalah is pretty foundational to a lot of uh, ways in which our our magic works. It's how we structure rituals and things like that. And it has really strong connections to astrology and tarot. And it's sort of, if you understand one of those systems, it helps inform the others. So I was interested just to know, how does magic work? And Kabbalah seemed to be the clearest explanation to me of how it worked. That brings up another question. So How does one work magic with the Kabbalah? Obviously, we aren't lighting the Kabbalah on fire like we (laughs) might a candle. Well, you know, I actually have done some pretty powerful workings with candles in the places of the spheres of the Tree of Life and lighting them in a certain order. So, so yes, you can use that. Uh, There's a lot of other ways you can use the Kabbalah in magic, though. I have a several workings in uh, part three of the book of ways that you can tap into the energies of the different spheres, or or they're also known as Sephiroth. That saying Sephiroth makes me giggle because I love Final Fantasy, and he was the villain in Final Fantasy VII, so I always have that moment of (laughs) confusion. Yeah. That's a little problematic, Final Fantasy. You know, right? Yeah. I know, seriously. But yeah, so there's a ton of different ways you can engage with it. It's both a way you can understand how things come into manifestation. It's also a map for your own personal spiritual growth. So there's an in between, there's a million other different ways you can incorporate it into your magic. And for me as a non-binary queer person, the more I dug into it, the more I found it not just an inclusive tool, but a very affirming tool for those of us who see our gender outside the normal binary and for those of us whose sexuality may be uh, not heteronormative. So considering the origins of the Kabbalah, which is mostly Jewish, mm-hmm. Jewish mysticism doesn't have to be like binary necessarily. What is it that makes the Kabbalah queer? Gosh, there's so many things. 
Um, we have 20 right off, minutes. Just I know, fill it up. right? Oh, just fill it up. Mm. Uh, so right off the bat, if you're looking for the gl- looking at the glyph of the tree of life, there's three vertical lines, and then there's a bunch of lines connecting these 10 circles that are placed on the glyph. And those three vertical lines are known as the three pillars. And they have several different names. Uh in some books, it's the pillar of force, the pillar of form, and the pillar of balance. Uh, some places, it's the masculine pillar, the feminine pillar, and the middle pillar. I like to call it the non-binary pillar mm-hmm. in that structure. But right out of the gate, we see it's not a binary setup. There are these three different um sort of anchors for the energy that go beyond a simple dualism of masculine and feminine. We have this middle pillar that combines and transmutes that energy into something new and different. So that's just to start. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) Okay, let's see. Um, As we're looking at the Tree of Life through the lightning flash, we're going to get a little bit technical here for folks who who are new to Kabbalah. This makes more sense if you're looking at it in a book, but... The lightning flash is if you play connect the dots with all 10 of the spheres in order of their creation, you get this shape that looks like a lightning flash. And that is what occultists talk about as the pathway to bring things into manifestation. So as energy is flowing down the tree from the top to the bottom through this lightning flash, you are sending energy from each sphere to the next, and then that next one passes it on. So if we're looking at the, you know, the traditional sort of Wiccan structure of masculine and feminine energy, which is problematic, and that's a big chunk of the book. Jason, as a Wiccan would step in and say, Uh (laughs) simplified, a lot of us aren't that way. Sorry. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, That's why I say, you know, the traditional like Gardnerian look at this um, from way back. Um, says that masculine energy is projective and feminine energy is receptive. So if we're looking at the energy flowing down this tree, each one of the spheres is both projecting and receiving energy at the same time. So if we're using that concept of masculine and feminine energy, they're both behaving in both ways simultaneously. I can talk today. But not only that, they're engaging with spheres that are acting in masculine and feminine ways. So they're basically bisexual as well as being gender fluid. Awesome. Great answer. Kept it for just a couple of minutes. So I'm always interested in people's writing processes. How did this book come together? I know you talked about how it's part of your tradition, the Kabbalah. But what was the big push? Like, I have to write this. And... The Kabbalah is pretty technical. What kind of challenges does that present as a writer? Mm. Well, honestly, a lot of the reason it exists is because of the pandemic lockdown in 2020, which has birthed a lot of books and new Mm -hmm. authors. And I think it is absolutely a fantastic silver lining to to something that is not great. But uh, what happened was I wanted to start a blog post series about going through, first of all, talking about how the Kabbalah is queer. I'd already taught a class on that. And I thought I can distill that down to a blog post. And then uh, maybe I could go through each of the spheres and kind of look at them through a queer lens and see how they relate. And when I was most, I think I was about halfway done with the blog series and I d- decided to do extra work because I'm one of those overachievers. So I also recorded path workings for each one that are available through SoundCloud. 
And about halfway through, I was talking to uh, one of my mentors, Evo Dominguez Jr., who has written many books and yes. who said, you know, you could you could make this into a book. And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't been studying Kabbalah nearly long enough to write a book. It had only been about a decade and you could spend your whole lifetime studying it, honestly. And, and he kept encouraging me. And so I thought, you know, it's lockdown. I have a lot of free time that I don't usually have. Let me see if I could make this into a book just as a personal challenge and something to focus on. And I actually got a buddy who also wanted to write a book at the same time. So we decided to create a pact where we each we worked some magic around both of us getting our books written and published. But in addition to that, we set up a system where every week we each set a goal for our writing for that week. And then we would also set a reward for that week. And neither of us got a reward unless we both did the thing. And that is a great way to hack around. Like for me, I could deny myself a reward as the day is long. Oh, I don't need that. But if my friend's reward is on the hook, I am going to make sure my friend gets that reward. So that was a great way to keep us motivated. How many words a week were you looking at? It really varied. And the nice thing about setting a goal each week uh, separately is that you can account for other things going on in your life. So if it's a really, really busy week, I maybe was able to get 1300 words and that would be, you know, a couple hours of sitting and working on it. Other weeks, 3000 to 4000. I was all doing it all outside of my day job. Um, so you know, I was cranking through that, but some weeks I'd have like, okay, I want to edit this chapter. I want to take a good editorial pass on that. So not every single week had a writing goal, uh, especially toward the end. It was mostly like editing, polishing, getting feedback, incorporating feedback and all of that. You're so much braver than I am. When I write a book, I don't let anyone read it until it's done. <laughs> and it's the first person to read it is the editor. Like, I don't want anybody. <laughs> and once it comes out, I don't want anybody to read it either because I'm just yes. scared they're going to hate it. Yeah, yeah it is uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. How have you felt about reading reviews so far? Do you read reviews? So the friend who I formed the pact with, we have another pact, which is we will go to each other's Goodread pages and Amazon pages and copy the nice reviews for each other in an email. So we don't feel like we have to go looking for them because I, you know, there are bad reviews out there. I know it for a fact. Um, if I focus on those, I know it's just going to make writing the next book all the harder. I think constructive criticism is great. And I've had some people engage with me one-on-one -on -one, um, with some good constructive feedback, especially the beta readers for the book. I tried to pick a wide variety of folks who whose opinions I trusted, but had different kind of experience with Kabbalah to make sure I'm making sense to all different skill levels. And yeah, those initial editorial passes are kind of terrifying. It's like, oh no, they sent me feedback. I don't want to look at it. Ah, and then you eventually do. And you're like, oh, that's not so bad. Oh, they made a good point there. I should do that. I was an English major in college. So getting feedback on my writing is something that I'm pretty accustomed to. <laughs> I will tell you, and I don't think I've admitted this publicly before, but the way Llewellyn works is you send in your book and then they read it and it's like seven or eight people read it. Then they send you back what they call vision notes, which mm -hmm. are what the corrections or additions, subtractions they want you to make. I get those and I can't look at them for two weeks in my inbox. <laughs> I'm just too 
too frightened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of ripped the Band-Aid off. It's like, I may not read them the second they come in, but probably within a day or two, just because oh. otherwise I will be anxious about it for longer. So I'm like, all right, just going to dive in. And the only one that they were right. Like the editors are there to make the book better. And I have the utmost respect for the folks who work on the book after me and make me sound good or better. Uh, But there was one bit of feedback I was disappointed in, which was to remove all the swear words from my book. Cause there used to be a few sprinkled throughout in places where I thought it, uh, it fit my writing style and and the vibe, but I understand their point. They want to make the book more marketable and they don't want to turn off would be readers with that. But still, you know, I like to swear on my blog and I can keep doing that however long I want. I mean, swearing is just how people talk now. I I always (laughs) think like a good swear, like wakes readers up. Like it has to be well-placed. Yeah. I'm in a band and our third album was called swearing is caring. So I generally concur with that that statement we swear a lot in our music too so i was gonna get to the band but now we're just gonna <laughs> jump in to the band the misbehaving maidens right is mm-hmm. the band yep yeah and you only have one show left which yeah we're coming up on our final show at the yeah. end of june what what what's the reason for the ending you know we've had a good run of 10 years uh as a band mm-hmm. which is much longer than the average half-life of most bands yeah. we've really accomplished all of our our goals like we've gotten to play for ballrooms at dragon con with like 300 people we've gotten to um you know perform at a bunch of different conventions and events that we were really excited about we've recorded three full studio albums. We made a professional music video. Like we, we've really done a lot and the pandemic has changed the nerdy convention scene out in our region in ways that we're kind of concerned with. In particular, the response to COVID, which I know is super complicated for anyone planning an event, like endless sympathy with trying to thread that needle of making it safe, but also making sure people get the experience they want. and you know, quite frankly, some of us have health issues that are particularly susceptible to uh, to COVID and long COVID that we can't so much risk playing at the gigs we enjoyed playing at the most. So that in com- combination with over the pandemic, we each kind of found our own projects that we wanted to work on. So it was just kind of a, it's the right time to do this. And it's hard. It's really bittersweet because I have really enjoyed being in this band and I'm really proud of what we've created, but I'm also excited to have a little bit more time to focus on my writing as well. Does music play a large role in your witchcraft practice? Yes, absolutely. I am one of my favorite tools for clearing a space is my ukulele because yeah, it's just got that someone called a ukulele a happiness transmitter. And I think that is very on point. Uh, just the bright, cheerful sound of a ukulele played and cleansing a space. I like it about for different uses than I would use bells, for example. Uh, the ukulele brings a better vibe to a place for me where it's more like welcoming and relaxed and friendly and fun. So that's one thing I like to do a lot, but I also just, I'm a huge music lover and I have to have like the right music to listen to for writing. And each book so far has had a different type of music behind it that I'm working with. 
Uh, and that's been really fascinating to find. But also I have written a number of chants and I am always interested in the intersection of magic and music. So what was the soundtrack while writing Queer Kabbalah? That one, I think I had a lot of, it sort of depended on what I was writing at the time within the book. I know I listened to a lot of like the lo-fi girl uh, sort of stuff on YouTube. Uh, Just lo-fi hip hop music is great. I also listened to a lot of hand pan music which I just sort of looked for on Spotify one day, because I always go to these festivals and the outdoor festivals. There's usually someone selling musical instruments and then you have these big steel drum hand pan things. And I always think, oh, I really want one of those, but how often would I actually use it? And would I actually spend the time to learn to play it? But I love the music. So just listening to that uh, on Spotify was, I think, really conducive to being in a relaxed but upbeat state of mind for the book. Will there ever be a uke off between you and Keldon at a festival? I can tell you right now, if I'm in a uke off with anyone, they're going to win because I have not practiced nearly enough to get like, I know three or four chords. That's, that's about it. I tried to make a more serious study of it and I kept getting uh, wrist injuries due to, I was also an enthusiastic rock climber for several years and kept messing up my wrist. So I couldn't continue practicing with it. So now it's just more of like, I play chords that feel good at the time and they're not necessarily a song. I just wanted to say you off really bad because I don't <laughs> think I'm ever going to get another chance to say that. Usually I ask people about their witchcraft practices. Like, when did you start practicing witchcraft? Of course, we're already at like 17 and a half minutes, but I still want to know, like, how old were you when you discovered the craft? Was it like coming home? Was it a slow process? Here are nine questions wrapped in one just for you. I would say the metaphysical called me at a pretty young age. I had some distinct psychic experiences when I was six through about 12 that I did not have a good box to put in. So I kind of buried them. And as my life went on, I kept getting these nudges from, we'll just say the numinous in various forms that I needed to incorporate a spiritual practice into my life that was not the Roman Catholicism I grew up with, but maybe had some things in common with Mm -hmm. it uh, here and there. And it wasn't until my early 30s that I kind of hit this point of either I have to start working with these things that have been happening in my head, all of my psychic experiences and metaphysical experiences, I have to start figuring out what that is, Or I don't know if I can continue to be a mentally healthy person for much longer. So I really, truly committed myself to it around 2012. And it's really blossomed and been such a huge, wonderful part of my life since then. You said early 30s. I'm convinced you're 26, 27 years old since I've met you. You just have (laughs) such a joyous look on your face that... Anyone older than 30 usually has lost through being bitter, <laughs> especially in the author world. So, mm. yeah. I'm I just so tickled to be a surprised. published author. You mm. know, I, I started writing when I was a little kid and I wrote like fan fiction before I knew what fan fiction was, like self insert fan fiction in like my elementary school. 
because I was really interested in just making people laugh and wanting to imagine new worlds and things like that. So having a book published is definitely a life bucket list item I'm delighted to have attained. I know for me, it didn't feel real until I had the book in my hand. And even now, nine books in, it doesn't feel real until I have it in my hand. Did it feel that way for you? Yeah, yeah. I think it was not unlike uh, when we had albums be published and actually be printed in CDs Mm -hmm. and holding the CD in my hand after all the work that went into it and all the group work that went into that. The first time I held our first CD, I cried, straight up cried. It was such a like birth experience of just like trying to bring that into the world had huge lots and lots of obstacles which I won't go into because we only have a moment left but uh but yeah holding the book for the first time I definitely got quite teary-eyed and a little bouncy and wanted to show every person in my life and both have everybody read it and love it but also have nobody read it in case nobody loved it so you're working on a new book right now what are you working on or can you not tell us No, I can talk about it. I'm actually working on three books kind of right now because apparently I'm a glutton for punishment. But one of them, which is coming out in April of 2024, I'm very honored to be the co-author with Evo Dominguez Jr. on the Sagittarius Witch, which is part of the Witch's Sun Sign series. The astrology series. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Um, Super excited. So that one's gone through vision edits and I'm waiting on copy edits for that one next. So um, that's in process, but mostly in the background right now, I'm working on a book of rituals for queer rites of passage, which should come out sometime in 2025. And I'm also low key working on Queer Kabbalah 2 Electric Boogaloo, which is I want to do a deeper dive on specifically the paths in the Tree of Life. But I do not have a contract for that one yet. So that one is the third priority and not until I finish the ones I have contracts for. (laughs) I know when I talk about that astrology series, whether it's Aries Witch and Taurus Witch, which are the first two, everyone is super excited about it. They ask me when that their book is going to come out. Have you felt any of that when you talk about it? Yeah, uh, people are really excited. And I was really floored to be asked, honestly. I'm like, you know, I just have like one book out. I'm not like a draw yet. People don't know who I am. If you're trying to get more people to read this based on the authors, I'm not sure I feel qualified next to like Laura Tempest Zakroff, for example. But they're like, no, no, I think you can do this. And I was like, Okay, (laughs) I will try. And I'm pleased with how it turned out. I got to have, um, I think I get more personal in that book than I did in Queer Kabbalah. Just a lot more of like my experience being a Sagittarius witch. There's some personal stories in there, which I have not told to many people publicly. So, um, so yeah, a whole lot of heart went into that one. So I hate it when hosts talk about themselves but when this came out i was near evo and i said why didn't you ask me to write capricorn witch as a capricorn (laughs) and evo goes it's well known that you're not a believer in astrology and my response was but as a capricorn i'm not supposed to be a believer (laughs) in astrology and he just laughed at me he's like yes jason that's why you're not doing this book (laughs) Yeah, I know it was a tricky selection process because they also had to be careful of authors who are working under other deadlines. They didn't want to disrupt any of the other books coming out. And, you know, not everyone had the bandwidth or or had, um, I don't know, the 
I'm not a, a huge astrologer personally. I'm still getting my arms around it. I've read like five books and still trying to get it into my skull, but I can definitely speak to my life as a Sagittarius witch and how that's impacted me. And Evo is really helpful guiding like the ways in which to approach it. Evo is just great. I often call him the best of us who are writer people because Evo's just terrific. And I miss I miss you and I wish you the best, sir. So as we wind things down, if people want to know more about you, where can they find you online? I hate that question. It's so like uh, cliche, but I think it's important. People can find me usually under the name Major Arquirna, which is M-A-J-O-R-A-R-Q-U-E-E-R-N-A. My website is majorrqueerna.com. I am on barely on Twitter as at majorrqueerna. I've really decreased my use of it recently. And I am on Instagram and Facebook as majorrqueerna. So that's where all the stuff can be found. They can join my email list on my website. Infus Book, this has been great. I thank you so much for joining us on the Witch with Books podcast. I hope this was fun for you. And Oh, I was I'm, delighted. I'm sure I will see you at festivals and other things. Thank you again so much. Thank you. And thank all of you who listen to this podcast. That is way too sporadic. I'm Jason. I will talk to you next time. Keep reading. <laughs>